is uh, Fesha Pliqueta. This is Joe Cole. This is Ruben Loftus-Cheek, and you're listening to the London, London is Blue, Blue podcast. podcast. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the London is Blue podcast. As always, your host, Brandon, joined by my co-host, Nick and Dan. Here we are midweek, just rambling, Dan. What in the world would we have to do in the middle of a week? Well, in the middle of the week, you know what it means. It means that we brought Mac Law, Matt Law back from vacation. So, Matt, <laughs> welcome back. How was the time away? You've got me back. You've got me back from vacation. You're the only reason I've come back. I haven't come <laughs> yeah, back for anything else. Sweet. Just, just for this. <laughs> so I'm good. I'm good. I really enjoyed my break. So uh, yeah, I'd like to say I feel refreshed. I'm not sure I fully feel refreshed. It all still feels a bit soon for me after doing all the Euros. I know a lot of people are ready for the start of the season, but it all feels a little bit like the seasons have run into one another. You, uh, it's funny how you like you just like reappear unannounced after your breaks to your like bah dropping a match report or this article about Harry Kane or like Jules <laughs> Kounde. So it's kind of funny. I was just scrolling the time and all of a sudden like you were just back as if you'd never left. Yeah, I do a little wave to say goodbye because otherwise I just get a lot of people saying. <laughs> where are you have you been sacked have they finally found their senses and let you go so i do the little wave to say goodbye i don't really feel it necessary to wave hello or just uh yeah just say hello by putting an article up at some stage yeah that's that's a that's a good way to do it and it judging by the website looks like you jumped right back into it uh but hey i this one uh ladies and gentlemen we're going to be talking about obviously the return of lukaku to chelsea and his and Matt's initial reaction on the uh, the start of Chelsea's season. Then we're going to talk about Chelsea's interest in Jules Koundé because that has continued to warm up uh, with the conversation of um, one center back potentially going to West Ham if they can afford him. Uh, talk about Nat Chalaba, uh, or I'm sorry, Trevo Chalaba, uh, <laughs> the the younger sibling, um, and, and what his position within the team has become. And then obviously Christensen, Rudiger, contract extensions. And then lastly, uh, Chelsea's surprise interest in a midfielder from La Liga, uh, potentially a loan deal and anything else we might have missed. So Nick, I'll go ahead uh, and let you continue your uh, parade, your celebration with Bukaku's <laughs> return and the strong start. I'm sure Matt missed this because, you know, just small little detail, but I'll, I'll let you fill him in, Nick. Well, Matt, I mean, uh, I, had, I had a pretty awesome prediction happen over the weekend where I said I saw it. Lukaku would score within his first 15 minutes. So uh, besides that, you, you missed <laughs> that tremendous thing that happened. Uh, we won the Super Cup. We signed Lukaku. Uh, Treb Chalaba has now worked his way into Tuchel's plans. Uh, we won our first two Premier League games uh, and kind of have a 5-0 aggregate score on the season so far. Uh, has has there been anything that has surprised you to this point about Chelsea's start to the year? Oh, wow. Good question. Has there been anything? Well, Trevor Chalabar has surprised me. Mm. That has surprised me. I mean, I know that he had had a good preseason. I know that he was playing games in preseason. And even with him playing the, the, the Super Cup, that, that bit of it didn't necessarily surprise me because Chelsea fans aren't going to thank me for this. But in my eyes, the Super Cup's just a glorified friendly. So that didn't surprise me particularly. But the fact that he's... I know he didn't start against Arsenal, but the fact that he's started against Crystal Palace, he's made such an impact. He's been called in and told, you're not going on loan. And it looks now like he will get a new contract, although I doubt whether there needs to be any great rush over that because let's face it he's not going anywhere um that has surprised me you know if you'd have said to me at the start of the summer the guy who's going to sort of be the surprise guy for, for Tuchel or the guy who's going to come from nowhere and take a place in the squad is Trevor Chalaber I, I 
I would have dismissed you. I've got to be honest. So that has taken me by surprise. And fair play to the lad. It's really, really good because we we do tend to, and I'm guilty of this. You tend to get to a stage with some with the Chelsea Academy lads where once they get to sort of 2021, if they haven't got into the team, you kind of think they're never going to. So it's great not only that he's got into the team and that he's used all these loans so well, but it's also great that he's kind of done it at 22, which is still very young, but not sort of so young. Mm. Um, I think it gives everyone a little bit of hope that no matter what sort of path you're taking, uh, if you can impress a manager, you can you can get a chance. So I think it's a great story. And, you know, I was on holiday during the first game, so I wasn't actually at Crystal Palace. I was at the Emirates, but I wasn't at the Crystal Palace game. But I watched it on the telly and I saw the sort of emotion in him. And I mean, that was that was just lovely to see. So that that has to be the surprise. I can't think of anything more surprising than that, to be quite honest with you. So Matt, you mentioned that uh, you were at the Emirates for yes. a match against Arsenal, where the supporters are already uh, burning down. <laughs> or at least the Arsenal supporters are burning it down in full revolt of what they saw on the pitch. But Lukaku's first match back, I think he tweeted that he's the perfect fit for this Chelsea after getting a chance to see him back in the royal blue and scoring for our team. So uh, just kind of maybe your thoughts, getting a chance to see him back in person, how that went for you. Uh, He he was everything I thought he was going to be. He was everything I thought he was going to be. I've watched Lukaku quite a lot these last two years because I have paid quite a big interest in Antonio Conte's into Milan because I think I've made no secret of the fact that I'm quite a big fan of Conte. Um, And I've also watched Lukaku a lot for Belgium. And I remember about a year or so ago when Belgium played England in the first half, Lukaku just bullied England. I mean, he just, the centre-backs, I can't remember who they were that day. One of them might have been Eric Dyer. He just bullied them. He just did exactly what he did to Pablo Mari Arsenal, you know, took, took <laughs> guys to pieces. So I I expected to see that Lukaku and I hoped to see that Lukaku. And I mean, he is a different player to the one who left England. Look, I thought Lukaku was a very good player in England and I even thought he was a very good player at Manchester United. His, his numbers were good at United. His physique was obviously a lot different. That's very noticeable that his, his physique has changed since he was in Italy. But he's he's a he's so much more intelligent and he's he's a leader. And actually it's really weird because you don't get that many uh strikers who are who are proper, proper leaders. I mean, obviously sort of Harry Kane at Tottenham's one, but he felt like a really experienced leader, and you could just see that Chelsea have signed the, the absolute finished product in Lukaku. And he and Tuchel was right, Tuchel was said afterwards, you know. It's not just his goals, it's not just his physicality, it's the whole package. And part of that is his absolute dream to play for Chelsea. And he's going to be for Chelsea like Harry Kane has been for for Tottenham. He is one of Chelsea's own in a way. And I just think he's going to score so many goals and bully so many defenders. It's frightening. And what he does for those players around him as well. I mean, Havertz should have scored. I think Havertz is going to love playing off him the way he can lay the ball off. And Reese James is just going to have a field day. I mean, (laughs) I don't play fantasy football, but... I know a lot about it and I know lots of people who do play it and I'd imagine everyone's scrambling to get Reese James in their fantasy football teams because, you know, assists and goals with the space he's going to get down the right thanks to Lukaku. It's really, really exciting for Chelsea fans, I would say. Really exciting. Ooh, great follow-up. So do you think you should bring Reese James in ahead of Liverpool? Yeah, I, I, I look, I, I know he likes to... Uh, I know he likes to s- sort of juggle those positions between Aspie and Reese James. Ooh. Um 
I, I, I like, look, I like him going on the attack. I know Reese James can be a little bit, they're a little bit uh, more suspect at the back occasionally with Reese in, but I like him there. I, I like, I like them going for it with, with Reese. And I think Reese with Lukaku is just going to be unbelievable. I tell you what, as well, somebody sent me, um, uh, somebody sent me a really interesting thing that maybe I can send over to you guys from WhatsApp and you might be able to tweet it out or do something with it. But the, the, the goal that Lukaku scored for Chelsea against Arsenal was identical to a goal he scored for Inter Milan. And I just cannot believe it's not through coincidence. I, I would bet that given Tuchel's attention to detail, that he's watched a lot of what they were doing with him at Inter Milan. The ball into his feet, hold the defender, play it off to the right, get in the middle, the crossing from the right. It was absolutely, it's uncanny. And I've got this, this video um, where it shows the two goals in unison and it's crazy. Yeah, I've actually seen that uh, on social media and it, to your point, is like the pace and like the rhythm and everything is is the same. And I think part of that is is we talk about these wingbacks, right? So, you know, Alonso, Reese seem to have started. We've seen Aspie even has some success against Palace. The, the one we're waiting to see, I guess, is probably Chilwell now that Emerson Palmieri has gone on loan to Lyon. Um, but I mean, these wingbacks are having an amazing start to the season. We'll see how it goes. But again, I'll let you touch on maybe how Antonio Conte-esque these wingbacks are. And then maybe, uh, some fans are panicking over Chilwell. Uh, I think it's a little early for that, but it's a fair, fair concern. I think, Uh, I think it's too early. I mean, if you remember when Tuchel first came in, he actually played Alonso over Chilwell when he first was appointed. Um, I don't know what, obviously Alonso has that little bit more experience. Um, Alonso hasn't been away in the summer, uh, has he? He hasn't been anywhere in terms of any tournaments or anything like that. So he's had a full pre-season with him. Whereas Chilwell obviously was away at the Euros, would have come back pretty late because they got to the final. I think it's just all those things. I know Chilwell didn't play in the Euros, but he still hasn't had hardly any pre-season. Um, Whereas Alonso's had a full preseason, he's got that experience as well. I wasn't that surprised for the Palace game because um, Tuchel's referenced before that he puts Alonso in sometimes when they're playing against teams who have the height and some physical capability because he thinks mm. Alonso is is helpful with that. So I'm, I'm not that surprised if I'm honest with you. And I think I don't think it'll be that long before Chilwell comes back. And I still think Chilwell will be the number one left back. Although, as we've seen with Tuchel, he he does rotate those wing-back positions quite a lot. There's not one who sort of plays 60 games. I mean, that was, that was kind of my point uh, earlier this week, is that with as many games as Chelsea have this year and the incredible amount of running that position does, you have to figure out solutions to swap them uh, occasionally, especially if you have a Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday kind of cadence, you know? Yeah, of course. And, and Chelsea want to win the league this season. You know, that... They obviously do want to win cups, and I'm sure they they want to retain the Champions League if they can. But they want to win, the league is the number one priority, and and that that was sort of the case when Tuchel came in because he was trying to get the top four. But it's a slightly different situation. But now they're they're thinking the the real long run because you know the the Premier League is a slog; it's a long season, and that that's that is the number one priority. And a lot of it makes sense. A lot of it, like I say, with no preseason for Chilwell, with Alonso's experience. And the fact he's, he's played well for two. I mean, this time, I, I was actually, weirdly, I had a phone call with someone yesterday where, as I said to them, if you'd have told me this time last year that you'd be talking that a team could win a, 
Premier League title with um, sort of Aspilicueta, Christensen, Rüdiger and Alonso as part of a back five, I'd have laughed because a lot of them were so out of form this time last year and they're in all in absolute peak form again and have been ever since Tuchel arrived. Yeah, these these wingbacks are just so exciting, especially as we've talked about having Lukaku as like the focus of that attack. I mean, he draws two, three defenders at a time. So it'll be interesting to see how Kai and Mason and Siesh and, and everyone else who plays in behind can kind of fill out that space that he creates for them. But again, the the options it felt like Alonso and Reese had uh, at the weekend at Arsenal were just immense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that they just Reese particularly was just having an absolute field day. And I mean, I was amazed that Arteta didn't do anything to stop it. They they plugged it a little bit better in, at half time, but I was amazed they didn't do anything during that first half just to stop that supply line. Um, but yeah, it looked tasty. It looked really tasty. All right. Well, we'll go ahead and take our ad break. We'll get this out of the way real quick. We can get back all about Jules Kunde and the center back situations, which we have many. So thank you to the sponsor for financially supporting the show. We'll be right back. All right, Matt, I'm going to pass this one to Dan. Dan is our resident center back expert here. So uh, good luck handling that, Dan. Don't know how I earned that title. Uh, Maybe because I've just been a supporter of Christians for so long. He finally uh, came good over the last uh, 18 months or so. Um, So one of the stories that's been pretty popular uh, before your vacation and now uh, after your vacation is still Jules Koundé, potentially from Sevilla. And, you know, I guess the question would be, as the window is winding down here, uh, as we look at it on the 24th of August, (laughs) the Tuesday, uh, how do you see that situation unfolding, knowing that there's also a domino effect of someone like does Kurt Zuma leave that would potentially unlock the door for this deal to happen? Yeah, if Kurt Zuma leaves, I'm absolutely convinced that that Chelsea will sign Jules Koundé. I think I think in many respects, the deal is done. Um, I, I don't think there's a lot of haggling to be done over fees. I think the personal terms are, are pretty much there. I just It's literally waiting on whether or not Chelsea, Chelsea sell, sell Zuma. And Chelsea, I think, are quite relaxed about this because I also think there's a fair chance that um, if they do not sell Zuma this window, that they could set up the Kunde deal for next summer and have it basically done and, and ready to do for next summer. Um, it, it feels like it's one that's going to get done. It's just a, a case of how the dominoes drop. And what I'm told is that Chelsea and, and Tuchel are relaxed enough that they don't need this change to happen to feel that oh, we won't be title contenders if this doesn't happen. Clearly, the defensive record is incredible. This is more a move about the future. It's a move about options. It's a move about uh, the contract situations at Chelsea. So even if they sign Koundé this summer, it's really designed for the fact that clearly one or two Chelsea centre-backs are going to leave next summer. That's that's absolutely clear. Um and whether it happens, this is just whether one one leaves this summer. And, and Zuma's been talks with, in talks with West Ham. The personal terms, I'm told, are, are, are quite a big problem. Um, quite quite understandably, Zuma doesn't particularly want to take a drop. I think Zuma also knows that if he were to stay at Chelsea, he would play games. He would he would probably make at least twenty appearances in the season. It's not like he's just going to rot away and not do anything. He also knows there will be injuries at, at times. So. And he'll have seen the fact that Alonso and Rudiger and people like that this time last year looked like they were on their way out, hung around and had the most incredible seasons in the end. So there's no reason why that can't happen for Zuma too. So I totally understand Zuma's position. 
Um, I think it's touch and go whether he leaves, which means touch and go on Koundé. But I, I do think if they don't do him this summer, there's a, a very good chance they'll set up a deal where he comes in next summer. One of the implications of any Zuma out, Koundé in deal is is Trev Shalaba though, right? And whether or not him sticking around would allow for enough match time, essentially. Is that something that you think is a concern given current circumstances or is it is it something that you know Tuchel is going to kind of force the issue with given recent developments I don't think it's a massive concern because Trevor Chalobah has been on so many loans he's played an incredible amount of football I mean his first team appearances if you go through his career of first team appearances over over the clubs he's been at what one of you might do it while we're talking or do it afterwards it's insane he's played so much football this is not a guy who has not been playing much football and has been sitting in academy or sitting in reserve. So he doesn't sort of need that football like some young players do because he's got it. He's got a massive bank under his belt. Um, and I think whether he plays very regularly or not, I think it will do him good to work with Tuchel and feel part of this Chelsea first team for a while. And I think that will do a lot for his confidence and his standing. And and he will play games. He will play at least cup games. He will make appearances. Even if Kunde can, comes in, I think that's clear. I don't think he's just going to be sort of told to stay and then forgotten about, even if he doesn't play loads and loads of games. And then they can always get to January and have a look at it again. And if he hasn't really played because there's just not the space, they can always look at whether alone in January. But he, he out of all the loanies, I remember doing a piece on him years ago about how many that he was on the verge of playing his 100th senior game, which was just insane. I mean, if you compare the amount of first team senior games he's played in comparison to Ruben Loftus-Cheek. It's ridiculous. So he's played 112 matches between his time at Ipswich, Huddersfield, and uh, Lorient, and he has played 8,600 senior minutes uh, on mm. his uh, last three loans, which is a lot of time. That's, that's a lot of decent playing time. <laughs> this is why when people sometimes criticize the, the Chelsea loan system, and the, there are sort of flaws you can highlight in it, but for someone like Trevor Chalabra at 22 to have played 115 or 112, did you say, professional senior games, it's actually incredible. And it's it's such good experience for him and his, his career, wherever it ends up being. And it's why now he's in a position, as I say, where if he's at Chelsea and he doesn't play for the first, if he plays two games in the first three months, it's really not the end of the world for him at all. I mean, I, I think the concern too is that it seems like they'll, they'll play the same position. Is, is that a concern? Do you think one of them will shift maybe to the left because Zuma ended up going out there? Or, you know, if Christensen plays right, Aspie plays right, Kunde plays right, Trevo yeah. plays right, no it's left. It's just the way it is. Chelsea are a big club. They're the, European, they're the European champions. You know, if you want to play for a club that's the European champions, you're going to have a lot of competition. How many center backs is too many center backs? Well, the, the, other th the other issue, though, is though now, isn't it? Now, Zappa Costa's gone. The mm. whole signing, Koundé can sort of, if Koundé were to come in, I think he can certainly fill in as a right wing back. And obviously, Aspie can double as a right wing back. So there's some adaptability there. You haven't just got kind of six guys who can only play centre back. Even Trevor Chalabar can play different positions, although from what Tuchel said last week in his press conference, it doesn't look like he's particularly looking at him in any other positions. Yeah, wants to keep him centrally. Yep. Well, that just locks in Rudiger's uh, playtime as the only kind of left center back 
that has experience in it. And it sounds like, uh, based on your article that you just uh, released, Matt, that Christensen and Rudiger are going to be offered extensions. Do you have any idea on the length of those contracts? I know Rudiger is really touch and go the last 12 months. Yeah, I mean, they've both been offered them. They're not going to be offered them. They have both been offered them. I think Christensen's very close. I think Christensen's basically agreed. There's just, I don't know quite how these things work, so I've never been involved in doing a football contract. But from what (laughs) I'm told, there's just a few loose ends and a bit of sort of um, paperwork to tidy up. But uh, Christensen is is agreed. Christensen's staying. Christensen's signing a new contract. That'll be a long-term deal. It'll be four or five years or maybe even six years. It'll be a, a long deal. Very good deal. I'm told he's got a good pay rise as well. So that's great news for Chelsea. Rudiger's more complicated. Uh, Rudiger's been offered a new deal. But Rudiger in January can obviously assess who comes to him in terms of foreign clubs. Rudiger's a lot older than Christensen. And I don't get the sense that Rudiger is about to sort of accept his contract offer quite as quickly as Christensen. That's not to say Rudiger wants to leave. It's not to say Rudiger's doing anything wrong. I just think that one will run a bit longer and he will take a little bit more time than Christensen because Rudiger at 28, I think he is, mm-hmm. um, and some of his injury history, you would have to say that this next deal, whether it be with Chelsea or whether he leaves, will be the last big deal of his career. Mm-hmm. The the one after this will be a smaller deal because of his age and and you would imagine less playing time. So this is a really important contract in Rudiger's career um, and future in terms of looking after himself once football is finished, even though that seems a long way away. So that one will take longer, but the offer is in. I'm told it's a really good offer. Um, but I think that one will run a bit longer. Whereas Christensen, whether or not the club announce it quickly, because clubs can be a bit weird about when they announce things, but but... I think everyone can assume that Christensen's pretty much done. Do you have a sense of how many or are there suitors who are lining up for Rudiger in this moment? You know, are there player, you know, there are teams kind of across Europe and the the top leagues that are trying to maybe press the issue with him and press the issue with Chelsea? Uh, well, they don't need to press the issue with Chelsea. They don't need to get in touch with Chelsea because from January they can talk to him without asking any permission of Chelsea. So I don't think anyone's contacting Chelsea over Rudiger. Um, I think lots of lots of big European clubs will be looking at that one because he will be available on a free transfer. His wages, whilst good, are not insane. So a lot of clubs would, would think even by offering him a, a pay rise, they'd be able to sort of afford him. Look, I'd imagine the Bayern Munichs of this world are looking at him. I would imagine a lot of sort of Italian clubs would be looking at him again. He's, he's played in Italy before. I think a lot of big clubs will be looking at him, but I don't think they'll be doing a lot yet because, like I say, in January, you can just go and talk to him and make him offers and try mm-hmm. and actually get a pre-contract to sign him. Yeah, I think that that makes a lot of sense to me as far as like Rudiger. I mean, he's in control, right? He's in the starting 11. He's got his spot locked in. I mean, he's in a very comfortable situation. The only risk and the only gamble is if you're to get injured, right? And then all of a sudden, you know, people yeah, are going to be less likely to to pick him up. And he does have a injury history. I mean, he's had a very good run lately, but before this very good run, he was a player who every sort of six months or so would get quite a bad knee injury, wouldn't he? And be be out for quite a long time. He had a bad run with that. Look, if you were to ask what I think will happen, I think he'll probably end up staying and signing a contract, but I just don't think it will happen quickly. And I just want to make it clear that I don't think that he's doing anything wrong at all. I think it's just sensible. I think anyone of his age or his experience 
would do exactly the same thing. And as you say, he's in a great position with it all. Yeah, again, with Rudiger, whether they announce tomorrow or in three months, it doesn't really change anything no, for him. Matter. So no, exactly. exactly. It makes perfect sense. Uh, Nick, let's go ahead and move up the pitch a little bit uh, further away from the best spot on the field uh, into the midfield. The defense is the best spot on the field. Um, no, he's talking about the goalkeeper. You know, oh, I, I know. Um, midfield. Bettinelli. <laughs> Mid- midfield is a uh-huh. is a real is a real uh, kind of quandary for Chelsea right now, Matt. Um, it seems like we're a little light given the you know kind of three standard options and then the lack of a fourth. Uh, there's a surprise entrant uh, into the mix, which is Saul from uh, Atletico Madrid. Uh, is this you know, loan deal, I guess, uh, something that works for both parties? Or is this something that maybe sets up a chess move for uh, a player that we have talked about mm-hmm. at length um, in Declan Rice for next summer? Can you kind of give us a thought on that? Well, first of all, midfield is absolutely not a sort of dying priority for Chelsea. I do feel that Tuchel, I've always felt that Tuchel wants one and would like one. Um, but again, isn't knocking down anybody's door for one. And if they don't get one, I think they they do think they can certainly cope and and be fine. So I don't think it's a case that they're panicking on that. An opportunity, I I was told last week before the sort of Sal thing became um, very clear, was basically I, I, I was, it was worded to me that if a good opportunity presents itself on the midfield, then we might do something, which looked like a, one of these sort of late deals rather than a long-term deal. And and sure enough, the Sal thing's come up. Sal's been offered to English clubs. Um, he's on big wages at Atletico Madrid. He's He's been moved. He played at left-back the other day for Atletico Madrid. Things seem to have gone a little bit odd there for him. They want money, but they also know that no one's really going to pay what, quite what they think he's worth this summer. So I think what they think is a, is a loan with a loan fee and then maybe an option to buy, but also in the hope that he does well enough that even if the club who loan him don't buy him, that the sort of goose is fattened up, as it were, for a big move for next summer. So that works for Saul and Atletico, and it could could be quite an interesting solution for Chelsea. Um, Tuchel has sort of referenced the fact that uh, Jorginho's maybe having to play a bit too much football because obviously Kante... is. Kante is in and out these days, isn't he? Let's face it, Kante, if Kante's not 100% fit, Kante doesn't play these days because we all know that after that Europa League final, he's had fitness issues when when he was pressed into playing that. And he will miss games. Kante will definitely miss games this season, which hmm. and you, which puts a lot on Jorginho. Um, and he's obviously just played a full, full summer with Italy at the Euro. So I think there's a little bit of concern around that. So he would like another one. Um, and a loan deal would would keep Chelsea's options open. I mean, it would it would sort of it would keep alive that hope that the man we talk about a lot from West Ham might might happen next season. And it would also let them look at him. I mean, Sal would probably be cheaper than than Declan Rice even next summer. And so, if he did very well, they might even switch targets. But he's a very interesting one. I mean, he's been offered to Man United as well. There was a story around in Spain today that Man United had, had sort of moved ahead of Chelsea. I'm told that's not true. Um, I don't think anyone's sort of ahead or behind, particularly. I just think it's a case of one of them deciding to press the button. A bit like Koundé, 
I think Chelsea would like to know, have a better idea what might be happening with people like Ampadu, Loftus-Cheek, Barkley, before necessarily pushing the button on it. But if nothing happens with them and we get to the final days, that might not stop them pushing the button on it. I think it's there for them to do if they want to do it. Um, and it, it's a it's a very interesting one. The, the other good position that Chelsea are in, sorry, a dragonfly just flew past my face. Um, the other good position that Chelsea are in is that they, I went through this yesterday because um, Hudson-Odoi, um, Tino Angerin, and there's one other, I think, maybe, um, are under the age of 21 or 21 and under. Oh, it'd be Ampadu. Um, if they all stay at the club, Chelsea would still have three places probably in their 25-man Premier League squad that they could mm. either give to people like Ross Barkley, who currently doesn't have a squad number, or they have it open for a new signing or two, um, which a lot of clubs don't have. A lot of clubs are faced with this situation because people are struggling to sell players, that if they bring in players at the moment, they will end up having to leave out a very senior high-earning player out of their 25-man Premier League squad, which will cause them a load of problems. It might seem like a trivial issue, but it's not, and it's a good position for Chelsea to be in because a lot of their Premier League sort of rivals are not in that position. What's the situation with Sal's wages? He makes 300,000 euro. He's their second top earner and has a contract wow. to 2026. It's a little concerning that Atletico Madrid are really open to moving their second highest paid player who is on an amazing, they signed a nine year contract originally. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, that's part of the reason why he is sort of available like this because they can't, they, they just can't afford it, particularly when he's playing at left back at the moment. Um, so this is why they're looking, trying to look for solutions. And look, Atletico will want that wage covered. Whoever takes them on loan will be expected to cover that wage. So, so what you're saving in a transfer fee, you are going to pay a big wage and you're going to pay a decent loan fee. Sometimes the loan fees take into account some of the wages. I, you know, I'm not privy to always quite how these things work, but sometimes you pay a bigger loan fee to bring down the size of the weekly wages. Sometimes you pay the weekly wages and don't pay much of a loan fee. But yeah, that there will be. It will be a bit like um, Higuain was. It will be an expensive loan. It won't be a cheap loan. Yeah, it's about two hundred fifty thousand pounds a week. So he puts him right in the right in the thick of it. Um, so Matt, I, I know we mentioned it briefly, and we talk about the the gentleman from across London and he, in West he Ham. must not be named. Yeah, he must no. not be named because it will uh, flood your flood your mentions. But. Uh, you know, it seems like, and you know, you kind of uh, have also written about the fact that you know Declan is still maybe disappointed that the hundred million pound valuation sits there, doesn't want to sign the contract, really kind of opens the doors up for more likely a move uh, next summer, particularly after West Ham have also had a pretty hot start, much like Chelsea, winning you know two out of their first two matches and currently sitting atop the Premier League table on the twenty uh, fourth of August. So. Um, is it still their stance that he won't go this summer? And do you see um, this Saul deal as a really good solution for Chelsea to kind of keep that open? Oh, it certainly would keep it open. I, um, and yeah, I mean, they, they want to keep... I would imagine they want to keep that option open because I do think there's a real danger that Man United will come in strong for Declan Rice next summer as well. Um, I, I really get the feeling that he is he's pretty high on their wanted list. Um and while Declan loves Chelsea, as we all know, I don't, I don't think he's going to sort of hang around if, if Chelsea's places are taken and, and Man United make a, a huge bid for him next summer. So, um, 
there's that to think about. Declan is definitely annoyed with this 100 million valuation. He thinks it's over the top and he thinks it's done being purely done to stop people bidding on him, even bids under that, which it probably has been. I mean, that that is West Ham's right. But he he thinks that uh, when he sees that... Um, that Chelsea are willing to pay sort of 60, 66, 67 million for Jules Kunde. He believes that if he were in that type of price bracket, that they would be making bids for him this summer and not sort of putting it off a little bit. So he's annoyed, but we saw last night again against Leicester, he, he's also very committed. Um, he's not going to hand in transfer requests. His his game's not going to suddenly go to pot at West Ham. So West Ham are in quite a good situation with him. What I would say is West Ham will know that the value, his valuation will start to drop because it's all right saying, oh, well, he'll still have two years plus an option on his, his contract after this year, which seems like still quite a long time. But if he's made it clear he's never signing another new contract, other clubs know that. So his valuation has to drop because you know that at some point you have to sell him because West Ham cannot afford to let him even go for 50, like get into a position where they have to let him go for 40 or 50 million. It would just be terrible, terrible business. <coughs> so um, West Ham are in a tricky position, but probably a trickier position next summer. I would be amazed if anything unhappened on Rice in this final week. Even if someone put in a crazy bid, I just can't see West Ham selling him at this stage. So I think that situation is just going to rumble on and we're going to be talking about Declan Rice quite a lot for the, the next 12 months. The oh, New no. Holland. <laughs> the New Holland, yeah. Oh, no. The New Holland. All right, just a quick one on, on Chuameni. I mean, this is a, <coughs> a guy that's been kind of mooted all summer, and and frankly, there hasn't been a whole lot you know, to really say over the last couple of weeks on him. Uh, given the fact that his team you know, might crash out of European play and, and that you know, they're not having a super strong start to the year. Is this still an, uh, you know, a button that Chelsea are willing to push or is this kind of something that's moved on? Let's face it, if I'm being told that, you know, if an opportunity presents itself, well, Saul has definitely presented itself. And uh, if, if Monaco suddenly go out the Champions League and decide they need money, then that would be an opportunity that presents itself. So I wouldn't fully rule it out, no. Um, but it would have to be a really good deal. They're not. I don't think they're going to go out and spend an awful lot of money on him at this stage because I, I I just get the feeling that he's not, because of his lack of experience and his youth, even though he's clearly going to be an extremely good player, I'm not quite sure he's quite what they're after at the moment, if I'm honest with you. Mm. Um, but if because of going out the Champions League brings a fee down or forces Monaco into a position that Chelsea don't think Monaco will be in again, or let's face it, if Man United suddenly put in a bid for him, then all of that could constitute an opportunity that presents itself. So I, I tend not to rule an awful lot out in the last week of transfer windows. And um, I'll be watching that, that Monaco result quite closely, albeit as we stand at the moment with me talking now, I, I, I would have thought that if, they, if Chelsea do do a midfielder, I think Sal's more likely. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's, it's an interesting situation with him and, and Monaco in the Champions League. Well, that uh, Champions League playoff matches tomorrow against Shakhtar Donetsk. Actually, it would be the day you're listening to this, most likely. And Monaco are down one nothing, And they are at the second-to-last team in Ligue 1 right now. So a bit of a rock start. But again, they've had to balance Champions League and La Ligue, and Ligue 1. So um, I guess you kind of touched on Ruben and Ampadu. You think they... It sounds like 
the way you talked about them, they aren't in the plans and that the club are actively seeking homes for them. They're not going to be there to compete for a midfield spot, you don't think? Um, I think that's maybe a bit harsh on Ruben. Uh, I think Ruben, look, I've said it a few times, Ruben's preference would be to stay and fight for a place and, and getting COVID, unfortunately, ruled him out the first game and, and was sort of, again, giving him a little setback. Um, so <clears throat> I, I think Ruben's head is still probably, I'd, I'd like to give it a go, but I also think that Chelsea would would be thinking, we'd, we'd probably think it's better for him to go out somewhere. He's got a squad number, which, you know, Barkley and Drinkwater haven't, which tells you if he doesn't go anywhere, he will be part of the squad. And I would imagine he would be get some opportunities. I think the club feel a duty of care to Ruben because the way he was injured on that that tour, I still think there's a there's a not a guilt but a, an acceptance that uh, they have a bit of duty of care to look after him, um, and because he is kind of one of their own. Um, so I, I I think that the, the club would probably think that it would be better for Ruben to go somewhere and play very regularly. But again. I don't think they're going to force the issue. It's it's who comes in. And I, I don't think anyone's come in at the moment, to be quite honest with you, because a lot of clubs are having problems getting rid of their own players to free up spaces for playing people like Ruben. And, and let's remember, like all Chelsea players, he's on a very healthy wave. So I think it's 50-50 what happens with him. I think Ampadu uh, will go somewhere if they... Uh, if they can get a midfielder in and they can find a club for Ampadu. Um, but again, he's got a squad number, so he'll be around it if he doesn't go anywhere. I would expect Ampadu to get something. Um, I don't quite know what at the moment. Um, but yeah, they're, they're two players who'll be quite interesting to watch in the last few days of the window if nothing's happened with them. Because I'd imagine Chelsea would get some offers on them in the late in the window. I'd imagine, uh, unlike Ruben, who I think Chelsea would sell, although I'm not sure Ruben would accept a permanent move at this stage of the window, I still think maybe Chelsea would be more inclined to loan Ampadu than sell him yet. Hmm. All right. Well, we've kind of now started that train of other outgoings. Obviously, we've seen a few players depart for the past few days. Tammy to Roma. Obviously, I think a lot of us uh, were checking the the AS Roma EN Twitter feed to see him have a, a pretty good debut. Uh, Emerson, Palmieri de Leon, and Mishi to Besiktas. Um, I guess what's up on the list next, Matt? I mean, you've got Andron on loan, Hudson Adoy on loan. Like we said, Barkley, Drinkwater, Bakioko don't have squad numbers, so surely they're scrambling to figure out their next move with Bakioko potentially going to Milan. Yeah, I think Bakioko getting that one done because I think there's obviously a deal to be done there. I think that will be a priority now. Um, then I think they'd like to find something for Ross. Um, it's been pretty clear that Barkley's not going to be in their plans. Quite what happened with Drinkwater, who knows? He's in the final year of his contract, so he might just end up seeing out his contract and and waving farewell, whether whether they can get something sorted out for him. Baba Rahman, I think they're still, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think they've got anything for Baba Rahman yet. He's another one who won't get a squad number. Charlie Masonda. Um, potentially getting something as well. I'd have thought they'll want him to go and play some football after all of his injury problems. So they're the ones. But I think if you're trying to tick them off in order, it looks like Bakayoko is next on the line. And while I'm told that nothing's come in for Barkley yet because he had a very ropey second half of the season last season, 
at my club. Um, I think they do think again that something might come up late for Barclay. They they would they would definitely like to sell Barclay, but I just can't see anyone having the money to sign sign him permanently. So I think if Barclay does go, it will be a loan. Another one that, you know, uh, had a, a few minutes to impress during the preseason, but may not find a ton of opportunities is given the amount of attackers we have now. Tino Andrin, do you see him potentially going on loan? Or I know you mentioned before that Tuchel has some interest there. would like to kind of see what he's got in him. Yeah, I mean, this all might just be within this mix of what happens with the midfield a little bit, because I think, I think Andrin has almost, he's not taken Gilmore's spot because he's not on the bench or anything yet in the Premier League, but I think he's, he's that sort of young young player to have been kept around a little bit at the moment because I think they'd, they'd like to sort of have him training with Tuchel a bit. Um, I think it'll be a domino effect with him. So I, I think who comes in and who goes out or who doesn't come in or who doesn't come out will will probably affect Andrin. I mean, Andrin's a great one for Chelsea because he doesn't count as a taking a squad place because of his age. So um, they don't have to worry from that point of view. He can have a squad number. He can be part of the squad without taking up, up a place. They really like him. They really rate him. Um, before Trevor Chalabar sort of, not broke through, but sort of cemented his, his place in that squad, I, I kind of thought if there was going to be one almost kind of graduate that it would be Andrin who would get more of an opportunity this season but I don't know whether Chalabar's emergence has stopped that albeit being in a different position or not yet it's it's a little bit unclear yeah the the, the last one that I think is like probably the most on edge uh, for a lot of Chelsea fans is Callum um, hasn't featured in the first two games um, is this a is this a player that you see getting real minutes this season with all the rotation that we were talking about earlier, or is this something that we might see him shipped out on loan? Well, I don't see who's going to take him at the moment. Um, I do think if there was a good offer for a loan that Chelsea would probably accept it at the moment because there's just a, there's just a little fear around, I think, that, that Callum does need to be playing and isn't going to play enough at the moment. Um and that it's not going to be particularly good for him. So I do think if a good loan offer came up for him, that they would definitely consider it. Um, but I don't see it because his wages for a player of his experience and his age are insane, quite frankly. Um, and it's very difficult. And the one that always recurred by Munich seems to have gone away a little bit. Mm. Um, I think... It's a tricky position he's in. Um, you know, we're on to a third manager now. Are we on to a third? Yeah, we're on to a third manager. Sari sort of brought him in. Played him a bit, but didn't play him all the time. Lampard was reluctant to play him. And now we're on to kind of a third manager who's reluctant to play him. And you start to wonder why. I mean, I don't want to criticise a kid. He's, he's still very young and he's extremely talented, hugely talented. Um it just feels like he needs to play some football and find a, a, a manager who's going to have a little bit of faith in him for a while, maybe just to boost his confidence or boost something. Um, but I, I don't see it happening in the final week. But I do think if there was an offer, Chelsea would probably think very hard about it because I think there's, there's a recognition it might be best for him at this stage to, to get out and go and play some football. And he's, he's the kid, of course, from the academy who hasn't done a loan or anything. You know, he hasn't got those minutes when we talk about 
Trevor Chalabar having all those minutes, Mount's loans, Reese James's loans, uh, Loftus Cheek's loans. Hudson was always a bit younger than all of them, but he's never. They always kept him around because they felt that he was so talented that he could go straight into the team almost. Um, and perhaps it's it's been to his detriment a little bit now. And perhaps he does need a bit of time away on loan to to just get a bank of experience and, like I say, find a manager with who's willing to put some real faith in him. I can't. I don't know what you guys think. I just can't see him playing much football if he stays at Chelsea. They've got so many players in those kind of positions. I just can't see him playing much football. I think it would be injury dependent, right? Like, you know, someone gets injured and kind of helps him move up the pecking order. He's been played in the right wing back role, but you have Aspi, you have Reese James there, you potentially bring in Kunde, and now he falls further down the pecking order on that side as well. I mean, to me, it's more of the if Pulisic were to stay out for an extended period of time and then another attacker potentially gets injured. You know, he's hoping for two dominoes to essentially fall to find his way back into a rotational position. I mean, out of the last two seasons, it was 70 matches he's been involved in, but he's only started uh, 32 of those. Um, And then you know, 14, uh, 1500 minutes in 2019, 20, and then 1800 minutes last, uh, season across his appearances. So, I mean, he did feature, but it, you know, oh, yeah, usually look, came look, off the for, bench, for, you know, for a player of his age at a club like Chelsea, he's played, he's played a, a good amount of games, but the consistency of the games hasn't been there, has it? I mean, if, if you were to go through those games and, and, and break down how many games in a row he's played, for instance, or started in a row, It'll be very small, I'd imagine. Um, someone on Twitter will probably prove me wrong on that because I'm I'm sort of talking from memory rather than from knowing that as a fact. But it feels to me like he hasn't started a lot of games in a row at all. And he's been shifted around different positions, um, obviously, since becoming a, an option at right wing back. But as you say, I mean, if you just go through it, he's not really even second choice for any position at the moment. His, his best hope is his third choice for a position. His third choice at right wing back at the moment and his third choice for a sort of either a place on the wing or a place as one of the sort of two number 10s. He's he's not second choice for anything. So he's counting on two people being out to start games. I mean, that that's a long way behind for, for a lad who who now has, has sort of watched from the bench a lot and is very keen to, to play a lot and very keen to try and also get back in the England squad. All right. I think, again, to Dan's point, a lot of attackers, and ironically, he's right wing back or left attacker. If Timo Werner, Hakim Ziyech, Pulisic can't get in right now, there's only so much squad rotation can go on. So uh, hopefully we can figure out a good home if he's not able to, uh, and we can go from there. But Matt, before we wrap, we have a couple questions coming in from the Discord, and I think people are playing, starting to play a game with us where they're trying to see how far outside of football we can get uh, with you. But Kamalio asking... <laughs> Besides beer, what's your go-to drink? What a weird question. Yeah, um, I don't. Maybe like a tea. You guys like your tea over there. Why? Why would you go to any other drink than beer? That's the weird part <laughs> of that question. Um, it's no, the I, best I, answer in itself. To be honest, it's just as bad. I mean, it doesn't paint me in, in great health, but probably coffee as much as as beer. I, I get through a few coffees a day. I, I, I don't. I don't drink fizzy drinks much. I'm not like a. Um, a Coca-Cola fan or anything like that. So it's probably coffee, water, and beer are my staples. Pretty simple. Yeah. yeah. Dan, Dan and I follow suit with that. The, the holy trinity of uh, yeah. liquid beverages. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, the second one from uh, Mark saying, what's your favorite dinosaur? Well, that's an interesting question because <laughs> my lad at the moment is six years old and he's massively into, into yep. dinosaurs. Um, I reckon Velociraptor, which kind of goes back to that first ever Jurassic Park and seeing that Velociraptor scene where they all <laughs> rip through that. But yeah, Velociraptors are pretty exciting, I think. I'm just glad people came out and asked, you know, outside of transfers, outside of everything, we're wanting to know more outside of, you know, football with you, Matt, which is nice, nice to see. The audience is really connected with you in that way. Yeah, I like it. I like that. I'm quite happy for a little bit of dinosaur chat. Well, you, <laughs> hey, Nick and Dan had plenty of dinosaur chat last week on a Q&A episode. Uh, we, got, we got the question of... of like pick a dinosaur and which one would win in, in battle. Uh, like so we a had a Royal battle Rumble. royale. I'll really? send you the, the New York Times link that, that I referenced. It's pretty, it's pretty interesting. Oh, really? What yeah. did you go for? Uh, I went for a Stegosaurus, and I think Dan went for a Triceratops. Yeah. So, so okay. yeah, I'll, I'll send you the, the article because it's it's geared for kids, but I, I found it fascinating, frankly. It was great. What about, I'm, I'm wondering about a pterodactyl just with the flying capacity. Ah, Ooh, okay. And they could like sort of that. swoop down and bite the neck and fly away and stuff like that. And if they get I'm caught, trying to think though, outside the box. They get caught. It's, it's get blouses. Caught. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. Dino transfer rumors. It's a new business for you to get into there, Matt. <laughs> Velociraptor to Chelsea. Very yeah. good. We almost tempted him into FPL, but instead we got him on Dinosaur. So that's kind of how things go. But hey, everybody, that's going to wrap it up. Again, make sure to check out Matt's newsletter and all of his articles on The Telegraph. Um, we continue to retweet and interact as best we can with that. But again, I think just go thank him, Matt. We really appreciate your time and, and breaking down all things Chelsea for us. Cheers, guys. No worries. Really appreciate it. Awesome. All right, Chelsea fans. Well, more content coming this week. Obviously, we got a preview of the Liverpool match, but that's going to wrap it for this one. So until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.